Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, located in southern Africa with the capital Gaborone, a population of 2.4 million and functioning as a presidential democracy is Botswana. In April 2018, Ian Karmer stepped down as president of Botswana after his 10 years in power had expired. Whilst the peaceful transition of power is notable on a continent that has a pretty poor record on that front, it is the outgoing president's surname that makes the story more interesting. Ian Karma is the son of the first president of Botswana, Soretse Karma, who set his country on a sparkling course that involved both the development of a strong diamond industry and an enduring democracy. However, the son continues to involve himself in politics to this day, despite leaving office over three years ago and potentially risks damaging his impressive family legacy. In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of Botswana, I'm joined on the show by Joel Conopo, who is an investigative journalist with Ink Journalism in Botswana. Joel, thanks for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Stevie. Well, Joel, it might just be nice to start with a bit of background on Ink Journalism. What does the organization do? Basically to assist the commercial media with, with stories that we thought that difficult to do. You know, Botswana is a country with, um, it's big in terms of size, but vastly populated. And then it's got a lot of tourism. And sometimes it's very difficult to do the stories properly when you're chasing a regular deadline in a newsroom. Yeah, right. So you help provide existing news outlets with extra resources. And um, what kind of stories do you cover? We do stories on cross-border crime. We collaborate a lot with big organizations around the world. Stories that ordinary newspapers in an African setup with a low budget will, will struggle to do. Yeah, of course. And you actually did one on Ian Karma, who we touched on in the intro, right? In 2018, I, I remember, we did a story about the former president who just left office. He was the former army general, and then he became president. He's the son of Seretsa Kama. So Ian Kama had a holiday home in, in central Botswana where there's a lot of bed watching, a very nice pen where there's a lot of bed and water and all that. So he, he took that place for himself. And then what, what was problematic is that he was using the army to construct sort of a holiday home, you know, and the army was busy telling us, some people in the army were telling us, um, we, are, we, are, we are working out there for him um, using taxpayers' resources. So in our attempt to go in February 2018, in our attempt to go do the story there, we got arrested. We got in, intercepted and arrested by, I think, by the army or the secret service or whoever. Whoa, really? And then we didn't give up. Um, we then thought, what, what other way can we tell the same story but overcome the, the barrier that was created? Because we wanted to see the place. So that's when we commissioned a satellite imagery company from, from, I think, from California just to get a satellite for that place. And it came out to be a very good story, a very innovative kind of approach in an environment that is really challenging, um, where politicians don't want you to, to tell the story. And then if you go for things like satellite, then it shows how much you are willing to expose corruption, but at the same time, how much you are willing to also use the technology that exists nowadays to tell the story. Yeah, wow. Well, you've kind of started touching on the Karma family there. So for a bit of context for people, would you mind just taking us back to the founding of Botswana and how it became a country to begin with? Botswana was started one of the poorest countries, I think, in the world in, in 1966 when it got independence. There were, there, were, there were no 
sources to talk off or development to talk off. I think the, 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 the only tired road was, I'm told it was 19 kilometers at the time. Wow, just one 19-kilometer road in a country that's bigger than Spain? And now it's developed into a stable and relatively wealthy middle-income country. Yeah, that was in 1966. So the development over, over that period of time, really, by African standards, it's, it's really impressive as if you, you, you try to compare with other African countries that were sometimes had this, what do you call, um, resource case. Yeah, that's right. Because the country ended up discovering huge diamond reserves just after independence. But unlike a lot of other African nations with notable resources, it's actually been able to harness this, right? Ambusana had a chance to, to discover diamonds in 10 years after, after independence. And that, that money has been used really mostly to develop the, 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 the country. How is it that the country was so successful with its development of its resources? Um, I think credit should go to, to, the, to the founding president. Because you'd, you'd remember in, in around in the 60s, that, that is during the time when colonial powers were just leaving most of the countries in Africa. Yeah, we've done a special bonus episode on colonization and its impacts. And so many of the countries we've already touched on became independent over this period. The replacement where was the Mabutu Seseko of Congo and Kaunda of Zambia, who were so much hell-bent on one-party state. You know, it worked for them. They liked it. South Africa was white minority government, and Zimbabwe was a white minority government. I'm talking about the neighbors. Zambia to the, to the west was, was colonized, either by, at the time, I don't know, either South Africa or, or Germany. And, and there was Zambia, which was one-party state. So Sarata had an opportunity to even become one-party state, if, if you ask me. But, but he chose multi-party democracy. Um, I think it was a sort of some kind of discipline on his part um, and focus. And, and at a less level, it's, it says a lot about maybe his intention to take the country forward. Yeah, absolutely. So as the British are leaving the country, the leader, Saretse Kama, takes control. But rather than dominate the country as a dictatorship, he actually sets it up for success by introducing a multi-party democracy. That's pretty phenomenal. He also instituted strong measures against corruption at the time. And, and there was nothing to talk about because there, there, was, there was no wealth from, like there was no resources before discovery of diamonds, but there was, there was a lot of issues around really trying to use the resources for the people. And then came diamonds in 76, and then that attitude continued. And, and then there's been respect for the law and the rule of law and, and clear separation of powers. Right. So as well as democracy, Soretze also introduced a clear separation of powers and strong institutions so that when diamonds were discovered, the country could make full use of them without politicians simply stealing them for themselves. And now Botswana is one of the largest diamond producers in the world. Can you just chat a bit more about Soretze Kama, as I think he's a fascinating leader? Soretze was born into, 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 um, into a royal family in, in central Botswana, and then he founded the ruling Botswana Democratic Party in 1962, and he was educated abroad. So he went to study in, in, in the UK, in Britain, at, at Oxford, and then he, he, he really had an opportunity to return to become, at the time, you, 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 might, you, might, you can imagine, there was a lot of incentive for being a chief um, than, than really being in politics, because politics is a constellation of ideas, and chiefs sometimes, they do what they would like because they're chiefs at the time. Like we are talking 1962. So, so he then chose politics and actually for, he did forego the chieftainship. 
Interesting. So he clearly had a vision for the country early on. Um, what is also interesting was was the fact that when he started the party, he then uh, encouraged the existence of the opposition. So we, which is a, a cool thing that we we spoke about. Yeah, absolutely. And and the one of the highlights is the fact that he married a white woman at a time when also it was it was really sort of a taboo in not just in the region, I think in the whole world. Yeah, I think you're right, especially with apartheid South Africa so close. And this is the English woman Ruth Williams. There's actually a movie of the story called A United Kingdom. But what about Soretse's son, Ian? So his second second born then is the one who became the president. But he became also he also joined the army at a, at a very young age, I think at, at 24. He joined the army until 1998, when the ruling party, I think, had challenges, um, internal fights. And then there was a South African professor who advised the ruling party to look for somebody's outsider, but respected. And then they brought him in. So he left the army, but he was parachuted to become the vice president. So you can imagine he became the vice president from the, from the commander of the, of the army. Wow, that's a big jump. He then took over in 2008. To, to 2018. And he also had his own challenges um, because, because from the background from the army, he was seen to be heavy-handed sometimes on the issues around sort of human rights. Yeah, there were concerns around that at some point. But generally, the economy did well, despite the fact that in 2008-9, when he took over, there was a global recession. He is credited, especially by the World Bank, for not budging when there was a time when civil servants really were looking for increment and then he said no no but we are just coming in 2011 just coming from a recession and we cannot just increase salaries we don't even have the money so he had he had that um character which i think he learned from his father of of really insisting on what you think is right interesting so he was potentially seen as heavy-handed over his term but also having a similar level of determination to his father how is the country now faring post him leaving office yeah, yeah, I think there are a number of pointers. Um, remember, we spoke about the institutions um, during Sarah's of Hamas time, and that was 60s, 70s, and 80s, the rule of law, separation of powers. But over time, there comes challenges within this democratic space. And what I think Botswana hasn't done is to, is to really change with the times. What do you mean? What I'll tell you now is that the institutions are there, but they're not independent. So if they're not independent, they're not stronger. Yeah, right. It's five decades since since Serete was in power. So the same party. You can imagine that that breeds complacency within the ruling party. We've been in power, winning elections. They won how many elections? Every five years since 1962. Yeah, of course. So even though it is technically a multi-party state, one party has been so dominant for so long that it has let complacency and corruption seep in. It's interesting that even a country with such stable foundations can still stumble slightly. Well, moving away from politics slightly, could you tell us about a festival holiday or celebration that's unique to Botswana? In Botswana, the one big uniting event would be the Sesereta Kama Day, the day that he, he was born, is celebrated and it brings people together, it's July 21st. Normally, it really brings people together because it's a time for reflection as a country and also really appreciate um, some of the sacrifices that we, we, we associate him with. Yeah, of course. It's not surprising that the big day in the country revolves around this hugely influential figure. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Joel. 
No problem. Um, I appreciate, and um, I also appreciate on behalf of the people of Botswana, really, that you, I mean, there are so many countries in the world and you chose Botswana and, and for an opportunity, really, for, um, for this kind of important conversation. No, it was my pleasure. Botswana is a fascinating country that hopefully people will want to discover a lot more about after listening to this episode. And hopefully I'll make my way there myself someday. The safari scene seems especially amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Joel Conopo. Join us next time where we'll be exploring the South American nation of Brazil, which dominates the continent in terms of its size, but suffers with continuing political problems that have blighted its history. As always, please do write us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter at How My Country Works for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about Botswana or any other country. This podcast is produced by Stephen O'Shea and sound editing is by Lucy Best. See you next time and remember to keep asking How My Country Works. <laughs>